At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Friday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel here with Joel Condon and Dennis Dick. On today's show, we've got some earnings. We've got, uh, we're going to recap that Gilead action from yesterday and how it impacted the market. Dennis is going to talk about a trade he made in that. We're going to talk about uh, what else was on our radar we were just discussing. Uh, oh, yeah, why it's a bad idea to short uh, stocks that are going bankrupt or stocks that are under a dollar general. So uh, that'll be the theme of the show. Our guest is Greg Weldon from Weldon Financial. He would join us at 8.35, give us his thoughts on the market. We'll bring Joel on now. Joel, give us a quick recap of, of what happened in the overnight session. Yeah, we've been up, we've been down, but we're up now. We're up uh, 18 handles at 27.9875. Uh, we close, follow through down to 27.55 and a quarter. I have absolutely nothing there. Uh, we turned around on a dime and went up to 2807, and I don't have anything there either. Uh, so we are just hanging out uh, just above mid-range on the session. Definitely a nice gain here, considering where we were at one point during the overnight session. Uh, crude, another good day here, up 3%, 52 cents at 1701. Remind me next time crude goes zero to buy it. Uh, you have gold up thirteen dollars and ten cents at seventeen fifty-eight and a half. Silver having a good day as well, up eleven point eight cents at fourteen fifteen point four seven five. Bitcoin down eighty dollars at seven thousand five hundred and fifty-five, trying to move towards eight thousand. Triple D, I'm going to bring you in here, but are you looking forward to the weekend? Trying to get myself off mute. Yes, I am. I need weekends here, although my weekends aren't as fun as they used to be. I will say that much. So it's like, what are you going to do this weekend? Probably do everything else that I just do all week because I don't go anywhere. So, um, you know, eventually, obviously, you know, maybe I'll go for a drive. <laughs> It'll be exciting. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I, I look forward to it because uh, I have someone to talk to besides Perry for the entire week. I mean, you know. Why is we, that? Uh, Why don't you have anybody to talk to during the week? Is Elisa working all week? Yeah. She's, she's, she's been really busy. eh? Yeah. She actually saw as many virtual patients in the office as she did with, uh, as her regular patients. And she says that like, she's connecting with these people and they're like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? And you know, some she has some elderly patients. So yeah. sometimes she spends 10, 15 minutes just getting them hooked up on zoom and, uh, and everything. But uh, no, it's just to have someone else around the house and uh, talk to, I really had actually my car was in the shop this week, so I really didn't go anywhere. So looking forward to the weekend, but we got a whole day of trading action before One more that. day. One more day. One more day. What are you seeing out there? Um, lots of interesting market yesterday. And I want to start talking about the Gilead news sure. that brought the market down significantly. And um, funny trades for me, like I've been saying, you know, I've been really doing well with my trading account lately. Mar March was my best month in 10 years. April's not going to be quite as high, but it's going to be pretty good too. Probably my second best month in 10 years. 
but I'm not only like trading well, you know, sometimes you just have luck too. Um, when it seems like when it's going right, it's going right. When it's going wrong, it's going wrong. You know, and we know we go into bad spells as traders. You're going to have those spells where it's going to turn and go wrong. So you got to press it when it's going well. Um, I had an order in my long-term account, my brokerage account, to buy Gilead right near that trend line at $77. You know, so if you bring up to the GILD daily, you'll see what I'm talking about. I had it sitting out there because we know I sold the pop and I wanted to rebuy the stock. Anyways, in my long-term brokerage account, I get a pop-up message when I buy something. And I'm, I was actually not even at my trading desk. And I get this pop-up message, bought Gilead. And I was like, I looked at Gilead like a half an hour ago. It's 83. How the hell did I just buy it at 77? And then I'm like, you know, going to Twitter. I was like, oh my goodness, you know, the, 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 the drug's a flop. So I'm running back down, you know, getting, and then logging in because I'm like, I don't want to own this if the drug's a flop. And by the time I log in, it was halted. So it was halted down at 7655. I was like, oh, this could get ugly because it probably hit limit down, right? So it's probably on the circuit breaker, it's halted. It reopens and then starts popping up. And I'm looking at it. I was like, I want to get out. And by the time I really get all ready and logged in, um, the thing's trading at $80. So I'm like, I, I probably would have scratched, like, like been willing to scratch that trade. And I had n not read anything at this point in time. I had just, you know, heard that this trial was a flop. And I'm like, I need to get the hell out of this stock. And I turn around and I sell it at $79.99. So I made three points on it. And I didn't even want to own it at that point in time. So then I do some reading. And I'm like, well, this is data from China. It was a stop trial. Um, it's inconclusive. And I'm like, I don't know if this is really that bad. And then Gilead's defending it. I'm like, I don't know if this is really that bad. I'm like, you know what? I want the stock. And by this time, the stock was already trading down the 75 handle. So anyways, I, by the time, you know, I get all organized, you know, and I'm looking because I really wasn't at my trading desk again. This was middle of the day and I don't trade at one o'clock, two o'clock. Um, the stock's down and I think I rebought. So I rebought my shares again at $76. So I'm back in Gilead again. Um, last night, Piper defending it. So literally I've, I've scalped nine points on my long-term account on Gilead. Then I just immediately scalped another three. I was in the trade for like literally two or three minutes. And now I'm back in, I bought at 76, low 76, and I'm up a couple points here again. But my thought process was, once I've done all my analysis here, is that this wasn't, you know, necessarily a flop. This was inconclusive data, really. And then Piper's defending it last night, saying that some of the data wasn't even correct, that the one doctor that was on there said that, that the data wasn't correct. It's coming from China. We don't know what to believe from China half the time. So I'm like, I still think it's a wild card that the data, you know, could show, this could show some uh this, this therapy uh, how do you say it again spencer you know here i own the stock and i don't i never know how to say this thing remdesivir how do you say this remdesivir remdesivir yeah. he already says and spencer's good at this i can never say these drug I'm names i don't know why they just say drug one two three because i can never say the names but under you know that analysis what i'm just looking at and i'm not a doctor but i'm just reading between the lines and like i don't think it was a flop and they really hit this down i don't think we can conclusively say it was a flop yet so they slammed it yesterday on um, the assumption that it's not working. They're starting to buy it back this morning. People thinking along my train of thought that, well, we don't really know yet. So I'm back in Gilead. Long, long story short, I got lucky, made three points, and like made nine points, and, which was good. And then three points of BS luck yesterday. And then I'm back in it again. So I played it three, four times. I bought it from this area. It's the third time I bought it from the 76 area in my longer term swing account. And I'm in it again for more for a swing. Uh, I mean, it's a story. And um, actually, I was discussing with a buddy of mine when that report actually came out. And he really dissected it. And he did not. I mean, at first he was excited. And then he was he was really disappointed because of the size of the control group. And we were just a little bit skeptical. I did it. Well, there was no control group on right, the original right. one. Yeah. Which and, is an issue. Um, I, I, I do, we do own it in our long-term portfolio. And, oh, you do own it still. And we're never going to sell it because every time I tell Lisa you. Lisa doesn't sell. Lisa doesn't sell. Um, so, you know, I was thinking about a shorter term, you know, scalp trade on it. Uh, it never got anywhere near the pre-market highs. It got up to like 89. So, I, you know, I never played it. On the first day. Um, yeah. It's like, it's like one stock of my portfolio that like, I really, I really not, not necessarily the size of my position, 
But like, I really wanted to be right because, you know, that means that they came up with something. Oh, so yeah. I'm a fanboy on it. So I really can't, I can't give you like a, an opinion, you know, like I won't sell it. I'd love, you know, I'd love for it to go higher. I see your rationale behind it, Dennis. It's really been in the trading range. Volatile filled the gap from one, that one day, which is good. And then yeah. recovered. Uh, good support here. Actually, if you were really uh, sharp, uh, that 74.40 low, that coincided with two lows from April 15th and April 16th by seven cents and by a nickel. If you were really fine-tuning your technical analysis on it. It was really trading in a you know, fast market all day, though. Like the chop, you know, you can see initially, like in that first candle when I got filled at 77, it looks like a solid line if you look at yesterday's chart. When it got back up, it almost went to 81. Like I said, I got out, you know, in the upper 79s because I hadn't even read anything and I just didn't want to be part of something that was a potential flop. So I got out on the bounce and then I was reading, I was like, I don't think this is a flop. And then it was already back down at that time. So I was able to rebuy it. I mean, if you were sitting out there at the 74 and change low there um, to get that, you'd have to have an order sitting out there 7440 because it sure. was not out there long. It traded in the 76s for a while, though. So that's probably, you know, why I was able to buy it in the low seven. I think 76.35, I think that's where I bought it. So I'm back in. And, you know, it's a wild card. If this thing pops, you know, on good news next week up to 83.84, I will sell it again. Um, if it flops, uh, again, well, you know, a point that Greg's making here, too, is that I never minded Gilead. Like, it kind of started, you know, really in this low 70s, you know, is really where it started. You know, think about even before COVID. The stock was 68 you know, to $70 before we even had COVID on the table. So this is kind of just a wild card for it. I think in a worst case scenario, obviously there's never a worst case scenario. Stock can always go down significantly. But I think if the jug is, is really a flop, I think it's back at the 70 area. And then you still got a company that's not trading with a ridiculous valuation. So it's kind of like one of those, I like the company. I kind of want to own it for a while and you got the wild card. I've already had some luck. Scalp nine points, scalp three points, up two points here. Obviously, I'm not going for just the two points, though. I'm hoping that they have some okay numbers from, from when they release their own data, which they're saying could be as early as next week, and the stock yeah. gets another lift on it. Yeah, uh, for sure. And who did they buy that, uh, for growth? Well, Kite Pharma. Yeah, Kite, January of last year or the year before. Didn't they buy someone else you own, Dennis, though? Uh, do they buy uh, jazz? They bought jazz. No, no it was kite. It was kite, but I thought there was no. someone. Well, there was one I had jazz. taken over. Oh man, it was a that was off of Biogen. That was Bluebird Bio. No, wasn't it? No. Well, Bluebird Bio is still going. I've been saying for a while I still like Bluebird Bio. I always thought Bluebird Bio could get scooped, but this is not the kind of market that anything's getting scooped up in, so I'm not buying right. anything. On. Uh, we, have, we, have, we have any M&A. We're not going to get any M&A for a while, I don't think. So I'm not buying stocks on any potential M&A at this point in time, but I've we always kind of liked Bluebird Bio. Ooh, we got a request for Boeing here. Ah, boy, oh, boy. Wild. Is that a, well, it looks like it's wild, but then you look at the daily and it looks oh, like... Oh, you're right. looks dead. Yeah. <laughs> I take that word. I take that back. I know. Consolidation station. Yeah. Place your One, bets. Yeah. 135 to 142. And look what it is. It's almost in the middle. You hold 135, you're going up. You get over 142, you rally. And boy, they faded that move last uh, last Friday, huh? On that news. 154 high on Friday, and then you came in. So consolidation station here. I could not tell you yep. what to do between 135 and 142 here. Uh, you know, and it all depends on the market as well. If you think this market just continues to buy the dip, which it does. Like, I am so torn in this market. And I think everybody is. We have been hanging around the 50% retracement of the move here They're for two weeks me. now. For two killing weeks. Me. We came back up here with Craig Johnson on the show. He thought if we got over 280, we're running to 300. We did get over 280. We have not run to 300. We're still set the same place. So I kind of took the other side where I thought we'd fail at the 50% retracement, but we didn't just fail. We've held up long enough that I don't want to be short. I don't want to be short the market here. I don't want to be long. I'm just kind of just going to go with the flow. So it's, I think a lot depends on what Gilead says when they're with their drug again next week. We saw a thousand point Dow rally when Gilead had positive results. And then we saw Gilead potentially have the flop come out yesterday and the Dow, you know, only sold off 200 points. I know. So I know. it's like going to go up a thousand when you get potential good news, going to go down 200 when you get potential bad news. It's a tough market to be short in. 
So I don't see a reason to come in here and like just bet bearish. We're going right back down to the lows. Um, but, you know, again, I don't know if I see the reason to just get all in either. I have been buying pullbacks in individual names. You know, people, you know, have been talking about, you know, what are you doing in your longer term portfolio? I use the opportunities. I talked about this before the earnings season started. I said the way I'm going to rebuild my longer term portfolio is buying the dip on stocks, good stocks, good companies when they announce disappointing earnings. And there's going to be some that will do that. Some are going to rally on disappointing earnings like Las Vegas Sands. But Las Vegas Sands is not my definition of a good company here right now because they're at ground zero. I don't know when they're going to come out of it. You know, great, great company. I shouldn't say great company. It's not, it's not my definition of a great stock because I don't know when they're coming out of this. Obviously, it wasn't their fault, but I'm not buying any of the Carnival Cruise Lines, the travel stocks, the restaurants. What I'm buying is stocks that I don't mind owning in if we're in a lockdown for a prolonged period of time that I think are going to survive. What I bought yesterday, you, I talked about it on the show. I was, I was talking about that. I was going to do it. I bought Target. I bought Target on the dip yesterday. I actually bought it right after the show in the long-term portfolio. I bought it right after I got done the show around 9.05. Because um, I don't like to buy the stocks and you know on the show I, I'm, on my longer term stuff, I like to talk about the idea and then go and do it. And so I bought $100.50 is where I um, bought, which is actually the low of the day. But I bought in the pre market, which wasn't the low of the pre market. Obviously, I traded lower into the 98 handle. But I'm just looking and I'm thinking, retail, big retail, Walmart, Target, Costco. These companies are going to still get a lot of sales even if we're in a prolonged lockdown. So, you know, I, I don't mind owning Target here. So I use the dip opportunity to buy Target. Um, another dip that I've bought recently, uh, just a few days ago, and I talked about this stock too, a couple days ago on the show, is this FLIR Systems, F-L-I-R. My friend Mike was talking about it. Um, I talked about it on the show twice now um, that they do that infrared cameras. So if we are trying to reopen the economy, there could be eventually a demand for the products that this company makes. And it's also got a dividend. It's not a crazy valuation. So it's not like this is just a penny stock that's all in on the camera, you know, on infrared cameras. But this is obviously um, a potential COVID play, I feel like. And I feel like it could eventually get from the thermal imaging, you know, I'm saying the infrared and, and the thermal imaging. Um, I feel like this could eventually get some media attention. Um, it had the pop up because they got, uh, there was a potential contract from Amazon. We talked about that on the show. It's had a nice little pullback here now. I've used that pullback to start a position. If pullback's a little bit further, I might add to it more. But I feel like this is, you know, a potential COVID play and a stock that, you know, has a, 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 a business. I mean, this isn't like a penny stock. So this is a real company. So I don't mind owning this one too. So that's Can two I, that I bought recently. Yeah, I just, um, just to give that little bit of perspective on things here, talking about the market, where we're at. Uh, the week of March 27th, we had a 460 point range. This is in the S&Ps. On the week of April 3rd, when we started to rally, 210. The next week, three and a quarter. Last week, 174. This week, 158. And this is for the week, folks. What are this you is talking not, about? The weekly ranges in the S&Ps. The consolidation here. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So, like, we Daily a, range. Like, you're yeah, talking your No, no. Range. These are the week's range right now. Okay. So, so we'll give them to us again because I didn't know what numbers you were talking about. Okay, I'm throwing out numbers and I'm confused. Okay. The week of March 27th, our range for the week, high yep. to the low, was 460 handles. Holy mackerel. Okay. We calmed down the next week. We only had 210, right? Yeah. The next week we did three and a quarter when we started to come up, okay? Last week, 174 was the range for the entire week. And the range for this week so far is 158. So, you know, we're, we're winding up and we're winding up at an important level, you know, just above the 50% tracement. I just, I agree with you. I mean, you know, are we just going to hold here and blast off to 3000? I couldn't tell you. And are we going to fail here? Like everyone thinks we're going to fail to 50% retracement and drop back to, you know, 2650, 2660. It's just, uh, you know, it's just a coin toss here. And I don't know. It's hard. I'm, so far with earnings season, they're not, they're, we're holding in there. What, what, what else can you say? Market... I mean, the earnings, exactly. The earnings at Las Vegas Sands were a disaster and the stock's rallying on it. So it's hard to be like full on rah, rah, bear, bear, I'm short in the world. I'm short nothing right now. Like nothing in the long-term account. Um, nothing really in the swing trading account either. So 
Um, you know, obviously I have day trades that are long short. I trade market neutral most, most of the time. So I'm going to always have some longs and some shorts in my day trading account, but I'm trading market neutral there. So it's hard. Um, I'm just going to keep trading, you know, buying the dips and selling the rips. I mean, that's what's been working. I've been talking about that for a month. Um, you know, the, the, the dip buying was even working when we were going down because they gave you lots of rips to sell as well. So, um, you know, Gilead's poster child for that right now, buying the dips and selling the rips. You sell the rip when it ripped up nine points, you're rewarded. You're buying the dip when it fell seven points yesterday, you're rewarded. Um, so th there's in, uh, buying the dips and selling the rips have been working for a long Let's time. Let's do some earning stacks. Well, I, I have a couple of things I want to interject with. Uh, first sure. thing is I learned a valuable lesson with, uh, uh, with a trade on FLIR the other day. Uh, I, I have a small trading account uh, through Webull on my phone. It's one of those, yep. one of those new trading apps and it's not on my computer. It's only on my phone. And I put the trade on and I forgot about it for like half the day and I came back and, and everything I wanted to do was, was out the window. So if, you, if you're going to place a trade through your phone, it's so easy. Don't forget about that. I forgot. It. I had a trade. I just forgot about it for like most so of the day. So you're in now too? Or no? No, no, I'm out now. But so that was my first thing I wanted to say. Second thing, uh, good question here uh, in the YouTube chat from TickerVault. If I can go back to Gilead uh, for just one second. Sure. sure. Uh, Dennis, when you talk about relationship trading, uh, are you looking at other relationships, uh, other stocks related moving off of Gilead? So like, for example, maybe Regeneron, yeah. Regeneron or Moderna or other stocks moving off of the Gilead. Uh, I mean, they're moving on their that. own data as well. So all of these, and this is why the biotech sector has been so strong, why the IBB, I believe, if I'm just looking correctly, I believe the IBB kissed almost to an all-time high. We're very close to the 2014 highs. We got to go back um, 133.60. We haven't got up there, but we're starting to come back. The reason the IBB has this relentless bid underneath it is that every biotech stock is, seems to be working on something here. Um, so we don't know who the winner is going to be. So you can kind of like, you know, pick your poison. I think Regeneron is, is looking, you know, and they're more on the vaccine front of it than the therapy front of it, to my understanding. Sanofi, which I own, I bought SNY in my long-term portfolio. Um, SNY, um, I, I believe they had earnings today, or they were supposed to have earnings. Anyways, um, 48.71, it's trading up a little bit. It's trading in Europe, but I bought that one in my longer-term portfolio. Again, the financial transaction tax on that one, so they knock 0.3% off your price when you get dinged. But I like it enough that I think you know that they're one of the leaders. They're working along with GlaxoSmithKline on a potential vaccine, but there's so many drug companies that are working on this that they all kind of have underneath demand for them, it seems like, because the market... Um, is is rewarding highly uh, any positive data that we get from any of these companies. So we don't know who the winner is going to be. We know they're all working on it. There but there's be been a relentless bid in most of your drug stocks. Does does it just have to be one winner? I no, mean... absolutely not. There could be multiple winners here, for sure. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, I think if there's a vaccine, it's going to be this one or that one, or maybe there's going to yep. be multiple vaccines. Who knows? I mean, we don't know exactly. It's not going to be that easy. It's not just like, okay, let's make a vaccine and move on with our lives. Uh, to my understanding, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I saw uh, a doc, one doctor was saying this, that they've never successfully, you know, created a coronavirus vaccine, like a one that just holds because, uh, you know, it could morph, it could do some different things. I'm not sure if that is true. I read that from a doctor on Twitter. I don't know if that is true or not. Maybe some other people can verify that, but it sounds to me like the process is not going to be that easy to make a vaccine. Let's just slam this and get this done. So um, it could take a while. Like people who think we're going to have a vaccine by the end of the summer, um, that's not what Scott Gottlieb saying. And Scott Gottlieb's on CNBC right now. I've been following him and everything he says just makes a lot of sense. And, you know, he's saying 18 to 24 months for a vaccine. So, you know, that's a long time. So, you know, if you think you're going to get instantly rewarded with a Sanofi or GlaxoSmithKline, there's probably going to be hiccups, there's probably going to be ups and downs, but they're not going to create a vaccine next week. So this is a longer term play. The therapy is a completely different story. All the drugs that are working on therapies, we could get a therapy that works next week. You know, it appeared that Gilead's was doing something good from Adam Fierstein last week, and then China's obviously saying the opposite. So, you know, we've had, you know, Adam Fierstein coming out. And, you know, he wrote a report that it was looking pretty good on some data in Chicago. China's come out and says it's not looking good. So we've had conflicting data here, so we don't know where we stand on that. But if you're playing for vaccine, it's going to be a lot of headlines. There's going to be some ups and downs on those. If you're playing for a therapy like in a Gilead, um, you, you want more instant gratification, I guess. 
Uh, you know who I think has a uh, vaccine for the coronavirus? Perry. Your dog? Yeah. Why? I, I, this is I the was... weirdest. This is no, the weirdest no, they do have on. it. They do have it. I believe they do have it for canines. Not where I thought that was going to go. <laughs> what? Yes. Joel, are you dreaming things in your sleep again? <laughs> Merck are you has dreaming a, things up? Merck Animal Health USA has a canine coronavirus uh, vaccine. But not for COVID. They just have a coronavirus like yes. a, for regular I didn't say coronavirus. COVID. There's a I lot did. of different coronaviruses there. It's confusing, too, because we say coronavirus, COVID. Obviously, right. you know, the, the flu, I believe, is a type of coronavirus, is it not? Isn't your normal, like, everyday flu a coronavirus? Or I, I, believe, I believe that? so. I believe so. I don't know. I'm not a – I'm not a – uh, all I know is, is I, a, I read the doctors a lot. And one doctor had some report that, or he tweeted out, you know, he's saying that it's very difficult to come up with vaccines for coronaviruses. So I don't know if that's true or not, but it doesn't sound like it's an easy process. Okay, let's do some more innings. That was a weird I, thing with the dog. <laughs> it's true. Lisa, Lisa told me. <laughs> uh, Lisa went, knows a lot more than we do. So okay. we'll go with Lisa. Let's do Intel okay. last night. A little bit of a chip rack here today. INTC disappoints. Your classic, you know, maybe you want to buy a dip. I, I, I don't own Intel, but I'm not opposed to it. What, give me the numbers. Yeah, earnings and they gave some guidance. I like that. So the adjusted EPS uh, for the Q1 uh, for Intel, a buck 45 versus a buck 28 estimate. Sales of 19.8 billion versus 18.7 billion. So a beat and a beat for the Q1 numbers. And as far as the Q2 guidance, they gave an EPS range of a buck 10. Uh, or sorry, they, they gave uh, EPS guidance of a buck ten versus a buck nineteen estimate. So a little bit light on that. Sales eighteen point five versus eighteen point seven billion dollars. So the guidance was light, uh, I guess, to be expected. But at least they gave, but they gave guidance, right? Exactly, which I which is great. So question: If they came out and just flat out said we beat and beat and said we're not updating guidance, is the stock down three dollars? Because the guidance was light. So they, they, now the algos have a number to trade on, right? Do you think it's down three bucks if they just did what everybody else did? I don't know. That's because obviously it's down because they guided down. But I mean, they gave guidance and it wasn't even that bad. I don't mind this Intel dip. I, I don't own the stock. I don't know if I want to buy the dip on it. I'd rather have it. I thought the... you were, I thought you'd be trying to short this one the way you Why? were talking yesterday. I don't I... shorten the hole, first of all. So I'd well, no, 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 yesterday. Yes, oh, like, ahead of the number. To... Maybe, yeah. Because I, I, of that, I, I did talk about it. Because about that Apple news. Yeah, I talked about it yesterday on the show, and that's a good point. Is that Apple coming out with their own processors is not good news for Intel. And I was yep. surprised that they held Intel up yesterday. They did. It did end up starting to leak into the number. Now it's down significantly. So you know, off the earnings, you would have actually made money on that. It was around sixty dollars when we were talking yep. about that. It's fifty six here now. If I was short, I cover it now. Um, but I'm not. I never had a trade on it. I don't even think okay. I took a position on it. Um, I. I'm inclined to buy the dips on good companies. Intel fits that bill. I don't know, though. Uh, you know, the Apple news spooks me a little bit. I'd love that's Intel in the lower 50s. Yeah, yeah. Not, I was not just 56. Gonna, yeah, I don't think it's a big I, enough dip for me. But, I, but you know what? Dip buying is working. I would not be surprised if this thing is back up at 60 in, in like a week. It would not surprise me at all. Uh, I did look at the pre-market low. I think it came in at uh, 55 and a quarter. And it just looks like yeah, you have a patient buyer in that area. You know, no one not, not lifting offers and not paying 55.90, but just, just through uh, the after hours in the pre-market, you made your low early, really early. And then someone just hung around, you know, right that area. And then it got up to 56 and a half. They weren't interested anymore. And now it's coming back on. So until it, you know, if you're really looking for a major washout on this thing, uh, you need to take out that pre-market low at 55.28. But just right now, just feels like there's just buyers there from like, let's say 55 and a quarter to 55 and a half. Nothing is discernible as that pattern that you had in uh, Snap the other day. But that it just, it, it's kind of just feels like it. And you don't really have a daily low there to back it up. Your next daily low, if you're really looking for a, a beat down, uh, your next daily low comes in at 52.73. At your April 3rd low, I don't see that coming into play today. Let's jump over. Uh, last night, it was pretty light for like major companies reporting. So sure. there's a couple big ones that reported here this morning. Now let's go to Verizon, Spencer, because this really chopped around again. 
Those who are buying the initial dip here on Verizon are rewarded. This is just this underneath demand. I think there's money managers thinking the same thing that I am. They're sitting with too much cash and they're using the dips to buy them. The dips don't last long. That was a quick dip. Oh yeah. But if you were out there, you had a shot. All right, numbers for Verizon EPS a buck twenty six versus a buck twenty three estimate sales of thirty one point six versus thirty two point four four billion dollars. So a mixed report. Uh, obviously, revenue from the media side of their business is down, but revenue from the uh, the internet side, uh, I believe, I saw was up. So it dipped all the way down. Is that right? Fifty five eighty six. Yeah, yeah, gift, it did. gift. Almost down $2 on Verizon. I saw it down the 56s. I did not see the 5586 print, so that one was really fast. I saw 56 and a half. You could have got 56 and a half, which is down a dollar, and it was back up like literally within a minute. So there, there's just underneath demand on these stocks. Um, when they're dipping on the initial headline numbers, I mean, the news algos, I don't understand how this even makes money. Maybe it's selective perception on our part. Maybe they're getting the good ones and we're just noticing the bad ones, but holy mackerel. You know, like they, they rip it. You know, what, what stock did they rip yesterday? Domino's Pizza. They rip it up to 400 bucks yesterday. And, you know, within five, five minutes, not even within two minutes, it's back down to scratch. And the Domino's Pizza numbers were awesome. So you would think logically that algo is pretty smart. It reads those numbers and buys everything. But it's not the market we're in. The market has been selling the ones that have really run on good numbers and buying the ones that have really fallen on bad numbers. That's the way this earnings season has played out. Durable goods down 14.4% versus 12% estimate. Uh, that's bullish. Uh, market rallies yeah. off. Yeah, market rallied off that news. That's how it so, goes. Yep. Uh, with Verizon, I'm going to throw out that low. That was a quick low there. I'm just going to go to the dailies. And we're, we're, where are we currently? Well, we're in the red by a little bit here in Verizon. Uh, let me look at the daily closes here. Uh, 57.59. I think, I don't know, it just kind of feels like 57 is the number. You had a 56.72 low three days ago. That was near, I don't know, this is a tough call. It won't break uh, it's, out. It's tough to be a buyer here. It's tough uh, to be a buyer, and it's probably tough to be a, you know, if you want to short it here, you got to give it over 60. And you got AT&T that had pretty good numbers, and they, and they bought it, and they, they dipped the stock. Um, so AT&T really, you know, did not do well on their numbers here. Verizon's had a hell of a run. We went from $49. Like I said, you know, if you're sitting out there and you get filled 56 on the initial bounce, I'd already probably would have sold it. So I can't, uh, it's a, it's kind of a coin flip here, but I'm more inclined. I, 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 I'm on the fence on this one. It's a really tough call. There's this, this is a curveball. What's it go X again? Do you know? I think it just went X. Really? I feel like it just did. Yeah, I feel like it went recently. Let's go check it out. I feel like it just did. Like like in the last week. Verizon. Because I feel like I played it. I, I'm pretty sure it just went X. I can remember playing it. It went X. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's come. No, no. April 9th. It just went X. Okay. So, so then... it just went X two weeks ago. So I should... felt like I just played it. And, you know, the way I do the dividend capture is I usually buy them, you know, a couple days before. And they often have a run-up ahead of the dividend, and then usually they show. Then, you know what? That would have been one that they would have been buying hand over fist during the decline, especially. And, and, and it and it ran. It ran yeah. right up into the X dividend uh, date again. It worked again. That oh, trade trade just works. AT and T, same story. Look at AT and T. Two three days, it went from like twenty seven up to like thirty right before the X dividend date. Same thing. So I believe AT&T went ex-dividend the day before, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just going to go grab it. Oh, we got to write that one down. Um, I'm telling you, that trade works. That's just uh, a lot. Yeah, April the 8th, that went ex-dividend. It works. Jared, Buying Jared ahead R. and selling after. Uh, Jared, Jared R., I think he's new to the show. He's asking about Harley-Davidson, Hog. I've not and... looked at this stock in a long time. I'd imagine it's not doing well, though, and my imagination is correct. Yeah, I mean. 8.2% dividend now on Hog. Is it still paying that? I don't think they've cut it. Is that still, that's still active dividend? Wow, it's a nice dividend. Yeah, it looks like it. Hard, hard, hard to be a buyer of anything that's making, you know, the, the P7, the dividend's awesome. You look from a valuation perspective, you're like, what don't you like? But is people are people really going out and buying new motorcycles right now? Uh, I think you're just not in the market for it. You know, we're in, you know, we're a situation where a lot of people lost their jobs. I mean, this is just tough. And that's why it's trading with this depressed valuation. With that being said, 
I don't know if I necessarily want to short it. It's got a nice dividend. It's not trading with a crazy valuation, but just the situation the economy's in and we are in a recession. Um, you know, it's just a matter of how long that's going to last. Um, if it starts to come out and starts to look okay, maybe I'd get interested in this, but I can't buy a stock like this at this time, not knowing how long we're going to be in a recession for and how long, you know, we're going to have to, you know, be in social distancing. Yeah, I mean, unless you're looking like a technical player or something, because you did come from 34 all the way down to, uh, where'd you bottom out? 1572. So if you're, you know, if you're looking in here, you know, just a couple bucks is kind of like a, a technical play. And, you know, they say something halfway decent in earnings, you know, a pop, but. I have to agree with you on that one. And, Greg uh, making a great point in the chat, Greg Gurrell, he's saying that this stock was in decline a long before, time before yeah. COVID came. And we've said that as a rule of thumb on the show, the stocks that were weak before COVID um, are really weak here now. And those are the kind of stocks I don't want to own. I want to own the stocks that were actually doing well before COVID. I don't want to own stocks that are in secular decline. So it's difficult. Um, the dividend's attractive, the valuation's attractive, but the dividend and the valuation have been attractive in Ford for a long time too. And now Ford, did Ford eventually, did Ford cut the dividend? Did we get rid of the dividend in Ford? I feel well, like they did. One of them did and one of them didn't. I feel like Ford did. And in chat, if you can verify that or not. Uh, uh, I can't remember. I one feel like did. they did. I think you might be right. G whoever, I think GM did and Ford didn't but uh i feel like Ford's i can't remember you, you might be right i honestly can't i think remember. gms oh, is still there and i think ford's is gone can anybody verify that in the chat i believe ford did get rid of the dividend yeah well we can check quickly but i want to bring in our guest right now greg sure. weldon from weldon financial greg maybe you know more about this can remember <laughs> who who cut their dividend but greg good morning hey guys how you doing hey greg how's it going great thanks we're just talking with somebody was talking to Harley Davidson. We're talking stocks that have been secular decline for a long time. And I've been arguing that I want to own stocks. If I'm buying stocks on the dips, I want to buy stocks that were strong before COVID, not stocks that were weak before COVID. What are your thoughts here? Let's talk. Um, yeah. we, we could talk the automotives, even Ford and GM, because, you know, some people are saying, oh, these are just, you know, crazy cheap valuations, but these are companies that are really struggling right now. Yeah. I wouldn't go near anything like that personally. And I mean, I think you make a bigger picture point that's important important and worthy of note. And that is these stocks were declining before this outbreak. That's important to note because the economy was softening before the outbreak. We've talked about this before. You saw it in Europe in particular, fourth quarter GDP. You had already gone negative in Europe in GDP on a real basis. Then you went negative on a nominal basis in the fourth quarter. So you had the consumer in the U.S. showing signs of erosion long before this shutdown. So the, you know, the, the outbreak really is only a magnifier, an accelerator, you know, a, a mag, you know, an intensifier, but it's not the catalyst for any of this uh, beyond the fact that it's deepening what would have been kind of a, an economic pullback now becomes, you know, what potentially is an economic black hole. So to think, that, you know, again, like you said, to think that people are going to come out of this, start buying motorcycles is insane. I mean, yeah. the, the damage that's being done here, I think is highly underestimated to the degree that very difficult to handicap economic data, okay? You can throw most of it out the window, but I'll make two points. Number one, every economic data point has been... I think we lost Greg there for I think a we just second. lost him. He was going to make the good point there. we got to go get yeah. Greg back. We're going to get yeah. him back, and we're going to bring him right in that mid-sentence there. So Let me um, try to grab him It might have dropped on his end, it looks like, because we're all still yeah. up. Oh, the second he point. He's back. Oh, Greg, wait, we got to bring you back to the Greg, first point. For some reason, well, your internet cut out. We missed the first okay. point. We were just getting to the good stuff. So yeah. go right back to your first point here again, and then uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, I would say the first point is that the economic data that we have seen, it's tough to handicap economic data. So you have to try and figure out how can I use this. And one way to use it is the, uh, the numbers that we're getting in every case, and particularly in Europe, but also just in the U.S., well, as we've seen in durable goods and retail sales, they're worse than expected, much worse than expected, and they're expected to be really bad. That tells you a lot right there in terms of, I don't think you priced in the worst case scenario that's actually happening versus what was expected to be happening, number one. Number two, if you take retail sales, for example, we know the March data did not incorporate the depth of decline we're going to see in April because most of the places weren't shut down here in Florida. People were still out partying for crying out loud the last week of March, all right? When you take the next round of data, what you're going to see 
is you're wiping out years of growth in total retail sales. I mean, you're gonna take these things already, you're below 2017 levels. Eating and drinking establishments already back to 2014 levels. You have just wiped out all of that growth, but what you've left is all the credit that was created to basically facilitate that growth. So, did we lose Greg again? I think yeah, we did. Yeah, internet not stable there maybe. Um, just cutting out, not sure why, why that's happening. Again, we're all up, I'm up, you're up, so something's happening. Greg, right. you with us? Yep. Yeah, yes. I don't know well, why. It's just, your, it's, your, it's just, uh, because we're not on, cutting out, you're cutting everyone out. Everyone in the world's on Zoom at 8.30 from what yeah, I understand. Maybe that's what it is, it's just Zoom <laughs> over. But oh, the Zoom's yeah. still working here, so. Yeah. Hey, man, you were just getting the good stuff again. You were right, so right when you cut out, you were just talking about, you know, the restaurants. You were just getting right. into how many different businesses right. and the credit you've, situation. You've wiped out all this growth in retail sales. I mean, you've had tremendous growth in retail sales since 2014, particularly in the eating and drinking establishments. And that is the margin of discretionary spending. So it's a really good gauge of how people are feeling about their own finances, whether they go out you know, to dinner or not, right? You've wiped out all this growth that we've accumulated since 2014 without even the worst data point yet to come in April. But what you have left is the credit that was created to support and facilitate that growth. That credit still exists, that credit still has to be paid back. You've already seen the delinquency rate on credit cards start to rise before this outbreak. All right. Yeah, still nominally low, but the credit is so large that even with a very low uh, delinquency rate, the amount of debt that consumers are delinquent on is at a record high before the outbreak. Now you take away all these jobs, a lot of which are going to be yeah. permanent. This is a real mess. And to think yeah. this is going to be a V, I think, is really naive and short-sighted and way too optimistic. So well, how are you positioning yourself then now? We've had a significant recovery in the S&P. I mean, they've got back over half of the losses here. A lot of companies have come back almost all the way back up. We've obviously had some companies have stayed depressed, like the airlines, like Boeing. You know, may maybe some of the companies are kind of at ground zero for this thing. But um, how are you positioning your overall portfolio if you think it's not going to be a V? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, obviously you've had the, the big decline. We played it well. I mean, we, we trade the index futures. So we were short. We got long. We, we played that out. We're out now. Okay, we're flat. Okay. And I think you've had this correction. It's a Fibonacci based, as you, I think you mentioned earlier. Yep. All right. I think the next wave is coming. When you look at something like the TSX 60 in Canada, very technically tight. This is a, such a tight pattern. It really is much tighter even than the S&P. And you're talking about having an oil influence, a commodity exporting influence. You know, so I look at that and I, I think you have another wave down coming. I think the volatility, I did a special report just this past Wednesday. I called it, it's a mad, 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 mad world. If you remember the old, old movie from the 1960s by that name. Um, and one of the things to kind of look at is the volatility is not yet even really on the long-term measures reached what it was at the peak of 2008, 2009, let alone going back to something like, you know, 19, uh, you know 1929 or 1938. And, you know, like trying to find similarities economically is difficult because this is so different. All right. Let alone that you have all these central banks, all these uh, you know, countries all over the world going on a, you know, a feeding frenzy of printing money. All right. Uh, Joel, why don't you hop in with whatever your okay. question was? I see his lips moving. His picture, his video's going well. It's just right, audio, audio cut out again. I know. We're, uh, we're and, on it's, with and it's such a good interview. Man, I know, I'm like, I know. Uh, I know. We uh, we're out with Greg Weldon from Weldon Live. Greg, if you can hear me, uh, I know yeah, you I got. Can you. Yeah, you can hear us okay. now. You yeah. got the picture. Is that the gold pit you got there in the background behind you? That is the gold pit. And I'll tell you what, you want. you. So we really want to cut this down to what, what are we doing here in terms of what stocks are we buying? It's pretty simple. You know, a couple of weeks ago when the dip in gold, we came in here and we bought Kinross, Newmont, Barrick, and Nova Gold. And those four have just screamed to the upside. The GDX, yeah, the gold have. ETF is breaking out. It's breaking out relative to the S&P 500 as well on a long-term basis. So that's number one. And number two, buying gasoline stocks, Valero, CVX, and uh, ExxonMobil. Because, you know, all this disinvestment from energy, the, the, the positive side of that is, you need to maintain refineries. You can't build new refineries. You need the pipelines to be maintained. If these companies have no money or they're going bankrupt, their pipelines are shutting down, you know, delivering, making and delivering gasoline becomes potentially problematic. So gasoline futures right now at 75 cents a gallon, 
I think that's a great buy. And buying some of these gasoline stocks, like I said, XOM, CBX, and VLO, those are our choices. I, I okay, like well, the. V, I just want to go on the VLO because I've thought about this. I've had this stock in my portfolio a couple of times, and I've looked at this, and I've looked at it recently, and it's on my shopping list. And um, I just look and think, well, the refiners, do they not benefit from this lower oil? Like, uh, don't they benefit from this? I, well, absolutely. I mean, that's my whole point around gasoline because, you know, not, not people are not going to stop driving, you know, petroleum fuel cars all of a sudden just because they, they the might drive them more <laughs> at, at Harvard. Yeah, seriously. And not because the students at Harvard and Yale protest and the people at Harvard are kind of dumb enough to start dumping the stocks and tell the world they're going to do it before they do it. Okay. So, you know, you have this total depression and disinvestment that absolutely benefits anyone that produces gasoline because it makes it more valuable going down the road. I mean, you're setting up here, I think it's a huge political mistake to say, don't buy the debt of the, of the energy companies here when you're buying corporate debt. This is what the Democrats are telling the Fed, right? That's a huge mistake because at the end of the day, down the road, you could be paying six, seven, eight dollars a gallon for gasoline. So it's kind of insane the way they're approaching this, frankly. Uh, before we let you go, I just wanted to see if you have any comments on the massacre and crude, uh, the May going negative like that. I mean, I'm a veteran, you're a veteran. Have mm -hmm. you ever seen anything like that? And just talk about the crude oil market, who the participants are, and uh, what kind of approach you take toward towards the crude oil futures? That's a more important question I think a lot of people realize for one big reason. What, you know, you have, first of all, the unprecedented collapse, which is just shows you how disvaluable a commodity come where people are willing to pay you $40 a barrel just to take their crude so they don't have to find a place to store it. I mean, that's the height of insanity. But the bigger picture is that's kind of an earthquake that has unleashed a tsunami through the credit markets linked to commodities, all right? You know, you're talking about huge losses by some of the physical traders in Singapore. You're talking about letters of credit. You're talking about, again, this has become a credit crunch. And that's the biggest risk because a credit crunch could lead to a debt deflation. We haven't even talked about Italy and, you know, the way the EU is dissing them in terms of giving them aid to where they may have to leave the union, bring back the lira just so they can print money, just so they can expand their, their budget deficit to spend uh, to you know, assist their own businesses that are going to badly need it. There was so much going on in the crude is a perfect example of how basically the whole world has changed when you can't value a commodity in terms of lending against it. And this is the biggest hit is credit is drying up. Credit conditions are getting tighter and the Fed may be powerless to address that. And if that's the case, it's like the worst case scenario for central bankers. It's like I used to say, what if they gave a war and nobody came? You remember that was the anti-Vietnam War cry in the 60s, right? What if they gave QE and no one cared? You're kind of there. You can't bail out everyone. You're buying state debt now. I mean, you know, how insane does this get? And when does it not work? And then that's a real problem. And that's what, the what about issue. the banks? Let's just bring this into a bank yeah. conversation because I'm concerned about the banks. I'm concerned that the relative strength has been very poor. They haven't participated as much in the recent rally. You look at Bank America, you look at Citigroup, you look at JP Morgan. A lot of stocks um, had earnings and they dipped, and, but then they bought them right back. They did not buy these stocks back on their earnings. Loan loss provisions were being raised at these banks saying that they have some concerns about potentially some bad loans that are on their books. What are your thoughts? The banks look cheap from a valuation perspective, but are they cheap for a reason? Yeah, they're cheap for a reason. And I mean, it's global. Look at the European banks are even worse shape. I mean, it's really bad there. And what's happening too, just not to move away from the question, but this is important because really Europe is going to be a leader here. And you've seen some stress in the, uh, in the money markets in Europe to the point where the three-month Eurobor deposit rate has jumped to minus 15 from minus 55 basis points. This is a big deal when you're talking about you know, attaching, uh, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, whether it's covenants or whether it's higher fees or whatever it is, and when you're lending to the Southern companies or the Southern banks themselves in Europe because of their harder hit and they can't really fix these things, well, where's the ECB going to paper this over, right? In the U.S., it's kind of a similar story because, yeah, you're talking about foreclosures, delinquencies, the whole nine yards, bankruptcies. I mean, all this stuff's going to come to roost. And, yeah, the banks are in better shape than they were in 2008 and 9, and this is way different. But the one thing that's the same, and I'll tell you guys, I mean, this to me is really hitting home because the one thing that's the same is huge derivative risk on the balance sheets of these banks. It has not been whittled down that much at all. It's gone from maybe a high of around $240 trillion to maybe $215 trillion. It's still massive. 
it's still like 90% for trading purposes, and the bulk of it is against interest rate contracts. So again, you bring the bond market in, you bring interest rates in, and then you expose the banks big time. So the Fed is walking a tightrope, and you know I don't envy them their job. I, I don't. I, you couldn't pay me enough money to do what they're going to have to do. All right, we're even on with Greg Weldon from Weldon Financial. Greg, thanks so much for the time sure. today, and uh, be safe out there. My pleasure, guys. Take care. Thanks, All right, uh, before we end it for the week, I just want to uh, go to something that we had talked about on the pre pre market show. Uh, Dennis had brought up WLL, which is not a chart I had looked at for a couple of weeks, and I was uh, very surprised by what I saw. They are yeah. going bankrupt. I'll pull up a five day chart here up yeah. on the screen, and Dennis, uh, talk us through uh, why this sort of thing happens and uh, how you should just stay out it's of it. It's your classic way. squeeze. Um, it's funny. You can't, and this is what, you know, I, I said, you know, jokingly on the pre pre market show when we, when we re actually write our trading book and, you know, I don't know if I'll ever do that. I don't know if I'll ever have the time to do it, but you know, page seven is going to be page seven. Well, I don't have any, I have less. So here's an interesting conversation. We're going on a tangent. People say, and I've seen this on my Twitter. Oh, you have so much time to do everything you want. I have way less time right now than I did before I was in lockdown. You know why? Cause I have two young kids. And when you have two young kids, you know, I don't have Spencer going to school. He is here all day. So me and my wife are trying to juggle, you know, and keep the kids entertained. So it is literally, you know, at least a 12 hour job to keep them entertained. And, and when you're in a, when a, you're in a lockdown and then, you know, I'm trading still full time, I'm trading more than I normally do because sometimes I'm getting up at four in the morning and trading. So you go from your normal trading hours, I'm probably doing an extra 10 trading hours than I normally do. Plus you add on the kids and it's like, I don't have time for anything. Um, my wife and I have come up with a system because we are so strapped for time. Like she has a kid to every time I'm trading. So I want to give her a break to do some other stuff, you know, and she's got to do a lot of other things as well around the house when, you know, we don't have the kids. And obviously we try to do, you know, the kids, but with a two-year-old and a five-year-old, you know, when you're doing something with a two-year-old and a five-year-old, even house chores, it takes three times as long. You know, if you've ever had young kids, you know what I'm talking about. So people who are in lockdown with young kids are having a completely different experience than people who are in lockdown with older kids or with no kids. Um, I've way less time right now, like, like, like dramatically less time. I've gotten to a point where I have to schedule even in like calls with friends and stuff. Because when it comes to like, when the kids go to bed at 830 at night, I'm exhausted because I've traded, you know, all day and I've had kids, you know, like bouncing around in between my spare time. So it's, you know, if you've ever had young kids, it's exhausting in itself, obviously. I love my kids. They're my whole world. But when you don't get any breaks at all, we don't, we used to have babysitters come over, you know, to give us a break. You know, my parents would come over, give us a break. We don't have any of that now. So the kids are on us all the time. So actually, there's no time to do anything right now. So for writing a book. All right, take that back. It, it, it's, it's hectic. And I, I bet I'm you some sorry. people who are listening can relate to this. If you have young kids right now, you have a lot less time than you did before at the lockdown. Yeah, so that was a heck of a tangent, but bring it oh, back. Yeah, bring it back to uh, back to why. What was the original question? I just wanted to say that because I keep seeing I keep seeing it on my Twitter. You know, oh, you have so much time right now. Why don't you go and you know read this book? Why don't you go and do this? It's like, no, yeah, I have way right. less time right now. Well, has more time right now, but not not Dennis Dick. <laughs> what about me? Can I virtually babysit or something like well, that? Well, that'd be nice, but they'll watch you for a few minutes. And you know, and 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 we do actually. It's funny you say that. A friend friend of ours and uh, a, a very good friend, Lily. She listens to the show sometimes, and she does actually do some schoolwork with Spencer sometimes on the iPad. So she's been great for us. So Lily, if you're listening, or Julia, you're listening, thank you so much. So they do get Spencer on that iPad for a little bit. But again, a five year old's attention span. You know, it's difficult. They don't have attention span for more than, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then they've got to do something else. It's just the way it is. All right, you know? talk, go back to Will. Go back yep. to WLL. I'm sorry. Go back to WLL. So I was talking, this is just your classic short squeeze. So people, and I, I was saying, if we were at page seven of our trading book, page seven of our trading book would say, don't short stocks that are under a buck. And, you know, a penny stock trader is going to hate me for saying that. I don't trade penny stocks. I trade other stocks. Stocks go under a dollar. I'm done with trading them. Because here's a classic situation where, you know, you're shorting the stock thinking, oh, I'll just short a whole pile of stock at 34 cents because it's going to zero. Well, PCG taught us stocks that are bankrupt don't necessarily go to zero. And they don't necessarily do it right away. Is there going to be some value for equity holders at the end of this bankruptcy for WLL? 
maybe, but you know, there's probably not going to be much, but it doesn't matter. The borrow rate on WLL right now is 89%. So it costs you 89% a year. So roughly you're talking 1% every three days. So you lose, and, and that's not much on a dollar stock, but it's significant. The locate is probably not that easy either. I haven't tried to locate it. I'm sure you can, but um, it's probably not that easy either. So the mechanics behind it are probably just getting squeezed here now. People who are shorting this at 50 cents, 70 cents, and it's going to zero are gasping and they're like, what's going on? So you're in a classic, let's squeeze them scenario here. And these things can get ugly. All right. Yeah, I, I don't I don't mess with those. I mean, uh, on a long side or short side. But uh, we got some more numbers to cover here. 854. S&P's just sprinted up to 28.11.75 once again. Buy the dip. Yeah, buy the dip. I, I wish I would have bought the dip instead of shorted the rip. But I, I uh, usually trade overnight hedged. But last yeah. night I was like, we were down at 270 and change or 277 on SPY. And I was like, I'm looking at this Gilead and I'm like, okay, yeah, we had some news. We had some, you know, um, obviously did a little bit of a chip wreck with the Intel. We had Google, which we didn't even get to, which was cutting their advertising spend. Yeah, is that huge um, or what? It was, well, it was big enough that they knocked Google down significantly last night. It's bouncing back here this morning. Again, the buy the dippers lurk below. But I just thought, like, I think this market's going to rally here overnight again. So I actually went long a little bit more than I'm normally. So I was actually net long in my trading account as of last night. And I'm getting rewarded for it because here we are. We're, we were down two points on SPY last night. And now we're up two points. Can, so you, can, you, text point me, from the can you text me if you go one way or another at night? Like, you know, like Usually I'm wrong bit. when I go one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I'm lucky right now. It's a, you know when you're in the zone, you're in the zone, right? I'm in this trading zone, so I feel like I've been making pretty good calls. I've been doing pretty good in my long-term portfolio, um, you know, in the in the stocks that I've purchased here, and I've been doing pretty good in my trading portfolio. You're being turn. corrected. It'll turn. By, you're being corrected in the YouTube chat by sure. uh, capital B, capital M, and yep. it says you're quoted in the intro is saying, "I'll buy the penny stock. I'll buy it for a penny." No, 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 that, no, no. He's not a say, penny stock. No, he said I'll buy. He says I'll buy that stock. I think I'll buy. It oh, I didn't say I'll short it for no, a penny. No, no, he <laughs> said, uh, he said he said I'll bid a penny. He said I'll bid. I'll a buy. Penny. I'll buy that stock at a penny. That we were talking with stub quotes. The intro. So if you're just new to the intro, like what does that mean? Which Spencer cuts off. What What, what does that mean? Okay, so back during the flash crash of May 2010. Your market makers always had to post a market. This was the rules back, you know, from for forever. So mark designated market makers had to make a market. So what they would do is if you know they go to the bathroom or whatever, they just always have a stub quote up there where the stock would sit, you know, with a one penny bid. So your stock, like you know, um, this was used General Electric, for example. They would have a stub quote out there if they, you know, because they always had to be making a market a penny. What happened was during the flash crash is everybody pulled all their bids. And actually, some of these stub quotes, those stocks that got a penny, they had a censure, trade for one cent a share, actually got hit. We know they busted all those trades, uh, but that's where that comes from is, um, you know, I'll buy all these stocks for a penny. So that's your, you watch this intro every day, and that's the story behind it. It's the market maker obligations to post a two-sided market at all times. And the way they met those obligations back in the day was they would bid a penny on all stocks. And obviously, they're bidding elsewhere, too but they would always have the penny stub quote out there. So they were always meeting their obligations. Now they've tightened up those obligations to a certain extent, the stub quotes, you know, they've got to be a little bit tighter than that. But for the most part, we don't have the market makers like we used to anyways. We don't have a lot of affirmative obligations anymore. A lot of it's high frequency market making. But during the flash crash, you saw, I believe it was 360 stocks or whatever traded down to one cent a share. Accenture, did Accenture? Accenture was one of them. Is that $38 a share? It traded to one penny. And then it went all the way back up. And the people who bought it at a penny got or, busted. You know, they, yeah. All those trades got busted. They busted anything that fell more than 60%, meaning that the trade, they just, they, they, they just killed the trade. So it didn't exist anymore. And that's, that was a kind of a horror story. It's a complete mess. And that's when they put the circuit breakers in. They put a lot of band-aids in so that that wouldn't happen again. But that's where that comes from is I'll buy that stock for a penny. All right, Spencer, we got about two minutes here. Do we get, uh, we still got some more stocks on the list? Well, there's always more on the list, but we, we covered most of them. Uh, the only one on my list we didn't really get to was AXP. They had earnings uh, this morning, and uh, I hadn't even looked at them, actually. Stocks trading up. Yeah. Um, quick technical drill, AXP, and then I got two uh, other stocks I want to cover. Yeah, too. you had the dip. You had the rip. I don't know. This has been kind of quiet. Uh, not really rebounding as much as one would like. Pre-market high. 
looks like you got someone that wants out at 85 or just under 85. So I, well, uh, that's on the 15 minute chart. Looks like there's resistance 85. If you get up there on the dailies, 85.27, 84.78, two of your last four highs. So if you get up in that area, that's major resistance. Uh, coming back on the downside, I see a couple daily lows right under 82. So 82, 85, that's your early trading range. Uh, negative on the stock is not much of a rebound off the low. That people aren't super interested in using the exper you know, expensive uh, American Express card. So not a, not a good looking long-term chart. I mean, you really need the economy to get going, everyone going back and, uh, for this one. So uh, 82.85, that's my early trading range in AXP. Two other stocks I had on my list just to mention quickly. TREX, Iceman was on CNBC last night. We know him from the big short. And he disclosed this was one of his new short positions, T-R-E-X, I believe they make um, the, the, the wood for the decking, but the, that's a composite. So I believe that that's great, isn't it, Spencer, T-R-E-X? Yeah. So anyways, this was one of his big, so the stock's trading down 5% off Iceman's comments on CNBC last night. And then we got a new stock here. So D-E-A-C, which if people have been following that, turned into DraftKings here this morning, D-K-N-G. And the stock is trading up from where the DEAC uh, was it DEAC that I believe it was. Was that it? I, I might be getting the, it wrong. It, Diamond is still trading as of uh, an hour ago. Uh, what was the ticker on that? Diamond. It was here. I thought it was DEAC. Yeah, you might be. I think you're right. DEAC. It's gone now. So it is now DKNG. Okay. Well, it was still trading as of like seven thirty this morning. It's gone now. But, They've turned it okay. into DKNG. So your DEAC well, this, became DKNG. This is this is not a trading recommendation at all. But can you think of a worse timing for for like DraftKings or anything that's sports related with the uncertainty we have? I mean, well, I mean, it's a sports betting company. What sports are they betting on? <laughs> like, exactly. I, I don't understand what they're betting on, but obviously, I mean, unless you're... unless you're going to take the the flip side of things and like they're going to have you know the NFL, but like no people at games and people. Are well, they probably be... were betting on the draft, right? Where they yeah. were they able to make bets on the draft last night? That draft would have been watched last night. So I'd yeah, imagine... it was. But I'd I, imagine I they probably it. had betting on the draft. I want. Did they do that, Spencer? Yeah, of course. I would hope they would. They who, yeah. who they were? I don't. I mean, I watched it for five minutes, and I'm like, uh, I, I mean, who did the Lions get? Uh, a cornerback from Ohio State. The, the guy they Ohio thought State. they were going to take. Akuda uh, is that his name? Jeffrey Akuda. Yeah. yeah. Actually, the first three players all had Ohio State ties. Joe Burrow uh, transferred out of there. Then Chase Young went second. And uh, and then the Lions took Akuda there, and uh, they had one Michigan player in the first round. Uh, Caesar Raz went to New Orleans, so it was all right. I followed it a little bit, but uh, Dennis, any final comments here on this Friday? Uh, we're trading strong in the green. Yeah, we're in the green. Buy the dip is still ruling the day. I mean, that's why you look at a stock like Intel and you think, are they potentially coming in here by the dip? They could. So there's a lot of money managers who are underinvested right now using the same opportunities that I've been using to rebuild my portfolio as using the dips on the individual stocks to get stocks that I like. You know, like I um, obviously I, I think I've bought, I've got quite a few stocks back here now. I'll have to reanalyze my cash position because I just continue to slowly get to work. It's still significant. Don't kid yourself because uh, I'm a little bit on Greg's side that I don't think we're getting right the hell out of this. But at the same time, I'm buying quality companies that I feel like can do well even during a pandemic. We know I bought Microsoft. I've talked about my Qualcomm purchase a while ago. I did buy Twitter a while ago. Um, and obviously, recently, I just said yesterday, I bought Target. So there's a few stocks that I'm nibbling on here. But I did rebuy my Peloton, too, although I'm torn on this one. I'm really torn because I obviously, you know, a valuation guy, I don't really like, you know, the Peloton valuation. Obviously, it's, they don't even make money. But I just think that they're going to have good numbers this quarter um, just because everybody's in the lockdown. And worth noting, all your buys, you don't even think about the amount. It's all the same to you, right? You're making the same quantity. Uh, it's similar. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I usually have like a bet size in my yeah. mind, you know, of a percent of my account. I'd yeah. say roughly I look at like when I'm putting a bet size in, it's like 1%, 1% to 2% mm -hmm. of my account. Yeah. So saying, you know, if you have 
50 to 100 stocks, you're probably fully invested. At one time, remember last year, I said I had like over 100 positions. I was looking the other day on my main account, I have like 37 of them. So, I mean, I, I raised some cash, like seriously, seriously raised some cash. It's up from there now. Like I'm sure I'm up to like 55, 60 positions again. So maybe I'm approaching like 40, you know, I might be approaching like 45% equities here again. I, I, I raised, like, I didn't raise, I, I always carry. So full disclosure, I always, I never go 100% in. I went through the financial crisis. I always have a significant amount of cash. I just never have as much cash as I've had. So, you know, I did raise cash, obviously, you know, back in, you know, March, January, which was way early. We talked about that. So, you know, I'm never going 100% in on equities because I went through the financial crisis and I said I never would. I always like to keep a cash buffer um, or, you know, but I, I buy a lot of preferred stocks with that cash and I sold a lot of those too. I've been trying to buy some of those back as well, um, you know, on different stocks. Like in Canada, there's a Loblaws preferred, which is a grocery store in Canada, the biggest grocer in Canada. I was buying a preferred stock on that that was yielding 6%. I was like, I don't mind loaning 6%, you know, uh, getting a, a dividend of 6% on a grocery store, you know, that I feel like is going to be there. Same reason why I bought Target yesterday. I feel like Target is a good company, reasonable valuation, and will be okay if we're in a lockdown for, or we're in social distancing for a longer period of time than is expected. So that's what I'm looking at as companies like this. All right. All right. I'll wrap, yeah, I want to wrap Spencer it up here. paying you overtime today. That's okay. The chat is noting that I do need a haircut. Yes, I do. Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll make them my weekend project. Uh, but I want to thank our guest, Greg Weldon. And thanks to all of you in our chats. We love their participation, both on YouTube and on premarket.benzinga.com. You can always catch a replay of this broadcast on YouTube or via our podcast on whatever podcast platform. You prefer for a uh, free trial and discount to Benzinga Pro, click on the link in the description of this video on YouTube. And I guess last thing, please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes and not for investing or trading advice. Everyone have a great rest of your day. Hey, one more thing. We're 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 back at 3.40 today uh, Mm -hmm. to wrap up the week. And uh, uh, we'll see. We'll see where we are, see how we end the week. But right now, we're poised to have a good week. We'll be back at 3.40, folks. We're getting a good turnout. I appreciate uh, everyone popping in at that time. All right. Everyone, have a good one until then. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.